Good morning. All right, let me get my timer up. Make sure I don't go over. Right, these we're going to get to in a little bit. So, good morning. As um, you have heard, I am Josie Lewis, formerly Josie Bachelor. Um, I am still very proud to be, be called a bachelor, so it's no, there's no problem. Um, but yes, yeah, so I grew up here. This is my home church. I'm here for Mothering Sunday, um, as a lot of you are. It's great to see so many of us um, here again today. So we are um, following the series called Incomparable. We're following a book by Andrew Wilson. Um, I haven't actually heard any of the other ones, haven't been here, but I hope that it's going well. I've heard good things about it. Um, And today we're looking at the topic of God being unknowable yet knowable. Thank you for such a fun topic to talk on, guys. Um, But as we've heard, it is Mothering Sunday. This brings up a lot of different emotions, and we might have um, different feelings about it. But I thought there's one mother as a British person that we might all know, um, and this is the Queen Mother. Um, We obviously, I I mean, I know a lot more about Queen Elizabeth um, II than I do about the Queen Mother. So I thought I'd just throw it out and do a bit of a quiz, see how well we all know the Queen Mother. So... Just shout out if you know the answer. She was the wife to which king? George VI, George VI correct. <laughs> See, we already have a little bit of um, difference in how well we know her. What was her maiden name? Bose Lion. Well done. Great. When did she take the name of Queen Mother? Or what was the, what, where did she get that name from? Why is she called the Queen Mother? When George VI died, when Queen Elizabeth became the queen, she became the queen mother because her daughter had become the queen in 1952. What was her title before she became the queen consort? Oh, maybe that's not the answer I have. Google told me she was called the Duchess of York. Yeah? Um, And she lived to be how old? 101, correct. There's some people that know her very well. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, yeah, I did not know her at all. I got 12, uh, 6 out of 12 on an online quiz. Um, but I did know the late Queen Liz particularly well. I got 8 out of 12 on a quiz about her. Um, and I also watched the whole series of The Crown. So <laughs> I, I feel like I know her quite personally. This is obviously a silly example, but my point is that you can know about someone that, um, that you haven't met. You can know information about them. We can agree that there is a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone personally. So I obviously don't know the Queen personally, but I do have a little bit of arbitrary knowledge about their life. There are, of course, other people that we know very well. For example, our mother or someone that we were raised by, our family. We know a lot about them we probably would score higher in a quiz about our family member than we would about the Queen. And we, a few of us would disagree that our family members can be classed as close personal relationships, people we know intimately and who we've, we've lived with on a day-to-day basis. Or our spouse or our partner. Looking around the room, there's so many beautiful marriages that have gone on for years and years and years Far longer than than mine and Jack's. We're currently at eight months going strong. (laughs) But I'm sure you can also testify to the fact that you know your partner extremely well. 
maybe too well at times. But there's also so much more that you can get to know about a person. I've been getting to know Jack for almost 10 years, but there is a lot that I don't know, a lot that I'm constantly finding out and figuring out. If I were to do a quiz about him, I'd probably score higher than I did with Queen Elizabeth II. But it, depending on the questions, I wouldn't necessarily get them all right. So we, we can sense this difference between knowing about someone, a celebrity, or, or the Queen. Then we know our personal relationships, people that we've lived with, that we go through things with. We know them very well. But there's still a lot of things that we can never know. We, we don't know how people are feeling. We don't know what they're thinking. Um, and there's always something that we can get to know about them in different contexts and different scenarios. We're limited in how much we can know people. And the chapter that we're looking at makes this distinction with God too. The knowing about God is very different to knowing him intimately and knowing the person of God. Do we even have the ability to know God on a personal level? He's of, co of course quite different from you and I in the relationships we have with each other. So is a relationship with him bound and limited? Can we even know a divine being at all? And if we can, then how? So Andrew Wilson, the author of this book, believes that God is both unknowable, yet also intimately knowable. Perhaps he's more knowable than our closest relationships. So we're just going to spend a few minutes thinking about this oxymoron of God and what we're supposed to do with it. He focuses on Matthew 11:27 in his chapter. I'm going to zoom out slightly, so if you'd like to get your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to Matthew 11, it will come up on the screen. We're going to start at verse 25 and go through to 30. Can we go to the next slide, please? Thank you. So Matthew 11, chapter, uh, Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we have this problem, we have this distinction. There is a mystery of God, the Lord of heaven, a divine being whom Jesus claims only himself as the Son can fully know. The very nature of God, can we go on to the next slide, please? Is divine. He is unknowable. I think we can all agree God is. He's in heaven. We're unable to know him in his fullness because of our very human nature and his very divine nature. In the book None Like Him by Jen Wilkin, we read the God of the Bible is infinite, immeasurable, unquantifiable, uncontainable, unbound, utterly without limit. We, can take, we cannot take the full measure of him no matter how hard we try. We cannot confine him to a physical or mental boundary. 
We cannot control him, and we can never stack up favorably beside him. God, by his very nature, is omniscient. He's on all-knowing, and we, by virtue, are very much not. We, in direct contrast to God, are finite, measurable, quantifiable, limited in our physical boundaries and abilities. Far more than not being able to know everything about our partners or our mothers or our family. When approaching, knowledgeable and when approaching knowledge and relationship with God, we are literally on a whole other level. We are on incomprehensible other dimension to the God we want to know. If we think about space and the expanse of the whole universe, Andrew Wilson talks about this in this chapter, the more we know about the vastness of the cosmos, the more we realize we don't know and we can't grasp or understand it. Astrologers and scientists have been studying the skies and space for as long as humans have existed. And do you know what percentage of it we as humans can explain, test, evidence, and understand with science? Does anyone know the percentage? It's 5%. 5% of the universe is normal, observable matter. The rest of the universe appears to be made of a mysterious, invisible substance named dark matter, which makes up 25%. Obviously, I had to do a lot of research to, to know all of this. And a force that then repels gravity, known as dark energy, which is 70%. The exotic, unknown substance named dark matter doesn't appear to absorb, reflect, or admit light, rendering it invisible to the human eye. Looking for a signal produced by dark matter collisions, therefore, is like looking for a needle in a haystack. We don't even have the machinery to detect it yet because we do not know what we're looking for. We can detect only 5% of the universe. 25% we think is an invisible, unknown, and undiscovered particle. The remaining 70% is a complete mystery. Now try and think of the God who created that universe. That one universe that, that we know about. He quite rightly says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what do we do with that? How does that sit with you? It might leave you feeling quite uncomfortable. We are beings that want to know. We want to understand and be able to explain the how and the why of the world, let alone God. I think we are quite literally in alien territory because we have a deep desire to want to solve any mystery. Think about how you feel at the end of a crime program that doesn't have an explanation or a solution. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair. It definitely doesn't feel complete. It can lead us to despair and frustration or anger about never really being able to understand God fully, let alone the universe we live in. We might feel a sense of hopelessness and not know where to even start when it comes to knowing God. Therefore, we might become apathetic towards him. I won't bother then. Why should I try and get to know a God if it's impossible to know him anyway? Others, by contrast, might feel a sense of purposeful pursuit to learn as much as they can about God, 
These are the theologists and the theologians, the philosophers, the historians, even the atheists, who all want to find a way to prove or disprove or to understand and explain the existence and nature of God. This looks rather similar to those astrologists who work tirelessly at seeking to know exactly what dark matter is, how it behaves and where it is and what it means for us on Earth. But like the astrologist's pursuit can lead to despair and frustration and even more mystery than when they started, so can the human effort to know God and his nature lead to tired despair or more unsatisfied confusion. When dealing with the unknowability of God, with this mystery of the divine, we can tie ourselves up in a knot. In his book, Will and Spirit by Gerald May, um, he writes about what to do with this truth, that it doesn't have to eat us up and leave us hopeless like this. He says, what we must deal with here is a process of appreciation rather than comprehension. I'll just say that again. What we must deal with here is a process of appreciation rather than comprehension. He goes on to say, the mystery, or God, can be known without being solved. Mystery can be experienced, sensed, felt, appreciated, even loved, without being understood. This may not be easy, and it requires surrender, but mystery can be known without being known. So this response to God's mystery is awe and wonder. It's one of humility and acceptance of the fact that we will never be able to understand God. He is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and we are definitely not. Appreciation rather than comprehension leads to greater faith and awestruck worship. We don't look up at the night sky and think, ah, I don't know every name of, of all the stars. I don't know what dark matter is. What am I looking at? I won't look at the sky again until I fully understand it. We don't say that. We look up and we think, wow, look at the beauty of the stars. Look at how much of that universe I don't know about. That's, that's amazing. Look at it. It's beautiful. So when we think about God being unknowable, let's turn our hearts to worship. Let's be in awe of him and his incomprehensible mystery. On the next slide, there's a verse in Romans 11. Frankly, I stand amazed at the unfathomable complexity of God's wisdom and God's knowledge. How could man ever understand his reasons for action or explain his methods of working? For who has known the, the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who was first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So the, un the unknowable, God is unknowable. And on the next slide, we get to this other side, this other side of the question. Is he knowable? Even with all the appreciation in the world of his incomprehensibility, if it was left there, God would still be distant. There would remain a gap between us and God. 
we would still ask ourselves, but who actually is he? What does that have to do with me? And thankfully for us, God also did not want us to stop at distant appreciation. He was not satisfied with us looking up, wondering who he is. He did not want to remain unreachable or completely unknowable. This God that we're talking about also happens to be omnibenevolent. I can never say that word. Benevolent. He is all good. And he wanted to make a way so that we could know him personally and intimately. So when we go back to our verse in Matthew 11, we read, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. As we have just seen, as we've just talked about, these things are hidden from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So when searching for God, we need to be like little children. And luckily for me, this is really easy. I'm so much more like a little child than I am wise and learned. We need to be the opposite of what the desperate astrologers are like in their endless pursuit to try and solve and understand everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the things of heaven are hidden from those trying desperately to be wise, to know it all. And we won't get there. So instead, let's be like little children. On the next slide, and for my final point, we have a packet of jelly babies. I need you to imagine for a moment that you are a jelly baby in this packet. Go with me with being like little children. So you, you can even close your eyes maybe if you want. It's up to you how you, how you tend to imagine things. But you as a jelly baby, in this packet, you only know what is in your world of jelly babies. You can't fathom anything outside of this packet and within your, with your fellow jelly baby friends. You might imagine what it's like outside of the packet. You might ask if there are other jelly baby packets out there for you to talk to. You might wonder who put you in your packet. How were you made? For what purpose? All your questions and wonderings will be through the lens of being a jelly baby. Every answer you come up with will be based on the facts that you are exposed to within the walls of your jelly baby packet. There is physically no way as a jelly baby that you can jump outside of your packet and discover the wider world in which you are situated. You don't have the knowledge nor the means to do so. The only way that you could know your purpose in this world is if your maker did something about it. Sure, the maker could open the packet, like I've just done, and shout down various revelations of who they are, how they made you. But there would still be a gap between you, the jelly baby, and your maker. You still wouldn't know them. You would still have questions about what your maker looks like or what world they live in, and what it would be like to experience that world, what your maker would do if they were a jelly baby. You are only a jelly baby, and you can only speak and think like a jelly baby. The only real solution to this problem is if your maker were to become a jelly baby. 
they would need to leave everything of the outside world behind, jump into the packet as a jelly baby, speak your language, feel your jelly baby skin, reveal to you the things outside of your packet in a way that you would understand and relate to. Only a truly loving maker would go to these extremes to make himself known to you. Our God, our creator, became a jelly baby for us. I don't know if you've ever heard the gospel in that sentence before, but our God, our creator, became a jelly baby for us. He made himself knowable in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate jelly baby God. Matthew eleven twenty seven says, No one knows the, so- the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You might be thinking, what if he doesn't choose to reveal himself to me? This is why it's so important to read the Bible in context, because before we get caught up in all sorts of thoughts and questions about that, the verse directly after that says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you catch it? Come to me all who are burdened by the drain and the pressure of striving to know him. It's an open invitation to all who need rest from the struggle and the questions that we have. Jesus invites us to learn from him not from the books or the historical evidence or the endless theologies. And these are not bad things and they are valuable and they have a big place in getting to know God, but they're seeking answers to different questions. If we want to know God intimately and personally, we learn from Jesus. If we truly want to know God personally, without being burdened by how much we can never know on our own, look to Jesus the jelly baby God. You will find rest for your soul. We can know God because of what Jesus did by showing us who he is. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20, it says this. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross and the message version I think puts it um, in a wordy way but in a powerful way of Colossians 1.19 we look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen we look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything absolutely everything above and below visible and invisible rank after rank after rank of angels Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood poured 
that poured down from the cross. This is our God. This is the simple gospel. This is God making himself known. It's unthinkable, unknowable, unsolvable God, yet fully known and fully revealed in the face and person of Jesus. Next slide. I can't explain this to you fully. I can't explain the, how the gospel works. I can't make it fully understandable. I can't give you a three-point sermon on how to know Jesus. But what I can tell you is that God did the only thing that could bridge the gap between us and him. There is nothing left for him to do that will make us know him more. He is God and we are people. Jesus has already done it. Jesus is God fully revealed. So do you want to know God? You have this question of how do I possibly know a God that's in, in heaven out of our lives? My question would be, do you know Jesus? Because he is everything you as a human will be able to know for now. So look to Jesus, learn from Jesus, read the Bible, find out who Jesus is. You will find rest and not more mystery. Do you already know God? Seek time with Jesus, get to know him more. Like we do with our personal relationships, we invest time and effort to get to know someone. Get to know Jesus more. Talk to him, give him your time and your love. Read the Bible again. Find out something new about Jesus that you didn't know before. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We're going to have a moment of stillness and reflection to turn our eyes to this Jesus to spend some time in this middle place between an awesome, mysterious, incomprehensible God and the intimate, personal, loving friendship that he offers in Jesus. And then we're going to come to a time of communion, which is, is so great. This is a physical representation of this God. This is a tangible human act given to us by God in the Bible as an example of how God became Jelly Baby, this is a physical, human item, thing that we can hold, that we can know and fathom in a human translation of bread and wine, human items representing God in flesh. The author, Eugene Peterson, writes actually about communion. Without communion, he says, it is very easy to drift into a spirituality that is dominated by ideas about Jesus instead of receiving life from Jesus? Has my faith drifted into learning about Jesus instead of receiving life from him? So that's the, the question we'll be asking and reflecting on when we come to communion. But right now, we're just going to hear a song. Um, so spend some time reflecting on this. Think about, do you know God? If you don't, then do you know Jesus? If you do, then how well do you know Jesus? What can you do to, to get to know Jesus more?
now, so could the servers come up and join me here, please? As Josie said, if we come now to a physical act of communion to remember the Lord Jesus. This is an open and free invitation to all who have given their hearts to Jesus. As was said, you know, Jesus will meet us where we're at. And the song just played says our heart needs a surgeon and we run to the Father. In the parable of the lost son, Told in Luke 15, Jesus says we have a heavenly father that runs to us. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now who doesn't want to be hugged by a heavenly father? God will meet us where we're at. As, Ju as Josie concluded, without the communion, it is very easy to drift into spirituality that is dominated by the by ideas about Jesus instead of receiving life from Jesus. Has our faith drifted into learning instead of receiving life from him? Now this morning it's a very incredible, uh, I feel incredibly privileged to do this here today and lead the communion service. For me, you know, it's a really powerful service and you know, when I was, sort of goes back to when I first committed my life to Jesus, I was only 15, and I was on a, a Crusader youth camp, and that's during around the communion table there, I committed to my life to Jesus. And that's when the Holy Spirit came into my life. Now, this might be your first time or the thousandth time um, taking part in this service. And before we move on to the elements of the table, I invite you to place your heart at the foot of the cross and say these words, which are on the next slide. Good. Dear God, I know I am a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my saviour and follow him as Lord from this day forward. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now as Christians, we join together as one church around the world, across the world, remembering his sacrifice and celebrating his resurrection on Easter Day. And Jesus said, anyone who believes in him, come to this table, take the bread and... Drink the wine, drink the cup of the wine. Now the bread is, we've got gluten-free option available for those. The servers will pass it to you. If you're not feel you're at this place, knowing Jesus as your saviour, then feel free to let the elements pass by. We come to the bread and we just pray. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life. You feed our souls, you nourish our hearts, and you give us the substance to run the race before us. As we break the bread, we feel the softness of your love for us. We smell the fragrance of the grace. You release afresh each day. 
We thank you with all our hearts for the grace, great price you paid when you were crucified on the cross for us. Yet, just as the yeast has caused this bread to rise, you rose again, triumphant over death, as Lord of Lords and King of Kings forever, and our beloved Saviour. Thank you, Lord. Amen.